Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Kings chapter 4, and we'll be in verses 38 through 44. We're making our way through the history of the northern kingdom by way of the miracles of Elisha. The Holy Spirit draws our attention to the miracles of Elisha during this era, because apart from that, the nation is very sinful and evil. To show us, however, that uh, the presence of God is still there, the Word of God is still there, the ministry of the man of God, all are still there, uh, so that when the time of their judgment comes and the Assyrians overwhelm them and take them into slavery, we will recognize the truth that they had a testimony for their God. Okay, so looking, I told you we're working through 17 miracles here, and we've come to the eighth and ninth miracles uh, tonight. It's a rather brief passage, but it says, uh, it says a lot to us. The first miracle is the miracle concerning the poisonous stew. Now, if you're like me and you've ever sat down at a bad meal, you wish that someone would come and perform a miracle. Um, but that's uh, a little different from the case here. As we see, we get into it, verse 38. Elisha returned to Gilgal. Let's talk about Gilgal for a second. This is one of the locations where the, the school of the prophets, where the prophets were taught, the disciples of the prophets. And so he would make his way from Carmel to Gilgal. And the places where the prophets were, they would gather and Elisha would teach them. Gilgal, what, what, what great lessons could be learned at Gilgal? That's the place where they came across the Jordan from having wandered in the wilderness. And they set up the 12 stones and it was there that circumcision was, was reinstigated uh, for the, those that had been born in those 40 years of wandering had not been circumcised. So it's a, a rededication of sorts of uh, the people of God and their commitment to his covenant. That's what would have been thought of when someone was at that place. The 12 memorial stones were set up there when they crossed. Now, whether or not those stones still stood and existed like that at this point in time, I have no idea. But just to point out the importance of Gilgal, it is also the place where Elisha joined up with Elijah when Elijah was on his way to being taken up into heaven. And he, he tried to discourage Elisha from coming with him. But he said, no, I'm, I'm going to stay with you. And then they went from Gilgal to other places to finally the place where uh, Elijah was, was raptured up into heaven. A lot of things that could be taught here. Uh, from the mouth of the inspired prophet at the place called Gilgal. But there was famine in the land. So food was scarce. Uh, what happened to the crop? Don't know. Was, did, it, did it befall some kind of uh, scourge? Were there locusts or, or some kind of... Uh, microscopic thing that destroyed the dono, destroyed the crops. 
But in this land where they were, there was a drought. And so people were hungry. Now, naturally, he would have thought about that. I suppose the disciples sitting there being taught uh, probably looked hungry at least. And the hunger of the lack of food probably was beginning to show on their frames as well. The whole, the, this part of the story really reminds us of, uh, actually this one in the next miracle, of what Christ did, how he attended to the physical needs of people. Whenever Christ was ministering and performed a miracle, miracles of healings or even feeding the 5,000, uh, 5, he attended to their physical needs first and this is what gained their attention and then he would teach them. Well, here, the disciples uh, of the prophets were sitting before him, obviously a teaching session. And he said to his servant, now this is, remember this guy, Gehazi? He's not a good guy. Set the large pot on the fire and cook a stew for the disciples of the prophets. They're hungry. So go out and find some stuff in the woods and, uh, that you can gather uh, and bring it back and cook it. And one went out, doesn't say who went, it doesn't say it was Gehazi, don't know who went out into the field, but it was somebody like me, a, a blooming idiot. I mean, you know, who doesn't know what he's doing? It just looks like, hey, this looks edible. Let me pick some of this. Let me, let me take some of this. So he, he goes to a place, he sees, he sees a vine in the field uh, he went out to gather herbs. He found a vine in the field and gathered from it wild gourds. The Hebrew word uh, can mean cucumber. And in some translations, it's translated mushroom. Uh, so I don't know. It was something that just, hey, this looks edible. And he gathered it up, brought it back. He took off his robe. He made a bag out of his robe and he filled his robe with the stuff that he'd gathered off the, of a vine wild gourds. He came back and diced them into the pot of stew. He cuts it all up, he shreds it, makes it, puts it into water for they did not know. All right. So to this point, people go by the kitchen. They probably say, well, that looks pretty good. I guess. Where'd you get that? Oh, I got it out in the field here growing on a vine. Well, okay. I guess it smells good. Just keep cooking. We're all hungry. We can't wait to get this stew done. So here's a guy, nobody knows about this gourd, at least none of these guys. Now, continuing on uh, to cook it, they finished cooking and poured it out for the people to eat. And it was when they were eating, okay, they didn't recognize the problem until they started eating it. Until they started eating of the stew, and they cried out and said, death is in this pot, O man of God. And they could not eat. Now, I've, I've sat down at a few meals in my time where I wanted to say, this stuff stinks. It smells like something died, you know. Uh, but I've always been a, a little kinder than that. However, these guys weren't that kind. Death is in this pot. Where is that guy that cooked this stuff? Oh, man of God, obviously, uh, to do a little research, and it's not given in the Word of God, but there was a Colossus, I think is what the plant is called. 
And he looked pretty good. I don't, I, hey, I've seen gourds, gourds, I don't know. Is squash a gourd? Looks like a gourd. Okay, well, I can eat squash. I can. So, you know, it looked okay. He gathered it up, but the thing was poisonous. And there's probably a little more. Okay, so here's several disciples sitting around in the, in the chow hall, you know, and cafeteria in some cave out there, and they start eating. And it's a little bitter to the taste if it was indeed this particular plant, which is indigenous to the area. And the plant goes right to work on your bowels. <laughs> How else can I say this? And so in a fairly quick fashion, after the brief taste of bitterness, uh, a violent storm of diarrhea will come on you. I wish, I wish I was a fly on the wall. All these guys sitting around. <laughs> one, one after the other, they start running out the cave. Death. <laughs> I've, I've felt this way myself sometimes as well. Death is in this pot, O oh man of God. Indeed, enough of it is toxic. So it wasn't untrue that what they had Apparent, if it was that if it was that particular plant, and so many scholars who have been to that region over a period of decades all come back with the same belief that it had to have been that particular thing um, that would have immediately attacked the digestive system of all of these uh, disciples of the prophets. Death in the pot, man of God, and they could not eat. He said, fetch flour. He threw it into the pot and he said, pour it for the people and let them eat. There was no harmful substance in the pot. So Elisha gave instructions and via his instructions, what they had cooked was made edible. Uh, seemed to be a miracle from God through the hand of Elisha. A lot of spiritual lessons here. Here's someone who has been learning from at that point in time, the greatest teacher of scripture who was alive. That was Elisha. Man of God who was closer to God than anyone as a servant of God at that point in time by the by the choice of God, Elisha was his man, had been learning, but, but what happens when you, when you're, you know, sort of set loose on your own, the point is we have to be very careful and discerning as to what we consume, not just physically, but spiritually as well. the people in general of the Northern Kingdom, primarily through Ahab and Jezebel, but others as well, had been fed spiritually a poisonous stew. And it will kill them unless the word of God intervenes. 
unless God sends his word through his servant and intervenes in their behalf. And what the man of God can apply into their lives is the very thing that can negate uh, the, the evil, delusionary, false uh, teaching and doctrine, that all of which come from the, comes from the pit of hell itself. It's a deadly thing and it can have deadly effects if not quickly attended to. So in a spiritual sense, not only has Elisha attend, attended to their uh, physical needs, but he also was there to intervene uh, for them as a teacher of the disciples. This is so important. It goes even further into the setting of the day. A land replete with delusion with regard to uh, the worship of Baal. People in a wholesale fashion by the masses uh, turned over to idolatry and false, the worship of false gods and engaged in the horrible behavior that goes along with that kind of worship. Yet here are, remember Yahweh said there were 7,000 who hadn't bent their knees to Baal. And this, the prophets of the disciples are some of them for sure. So there were pockets of people who were as best as they could be in their day, students of the word of God, faithful followers of, of Yahweh, who had separated themselves from the evil walk of their day. And if their families as well. Remember a couple of miracles earlier. Well, a couple of miracles earlier, there was uh, the widow of one of the prophet's disciples and she, he had died and she was left with her sons and Elisha was there to, as the representative of God to perform a miracle and she received more of a blessing that she could have ever hoped for. So it, it's not just the disciples of the prophets, it's also their families. We can think of this as a, as a, a group of people who probably formed up a village and because of the times, their lives Number one, we're separated from the rest of the world in which they live because of the wickedness around it. And number two, uh, separated to the word of God, knowing that the way of Ahab and Jezebel and, and as it had been carried on by Ahab's son and what the people were engaged in mostly was evil. They didn't want their family involved with it. They didn't want their children involved with it. And so they... They stayed close together as a, as a community of believers. And so we can put all that together by looking at this particular general context of Scripture. Elisha ministered to them. He was very, uh, you know, it was very important to him to be connected to their lives, uh, certainly as their teacher and as their leader, uh, but also in a personal way. These were followers and believers of Yahweh. So Elisha obviously would do all that he could do uh, to help them. The great teaching here is that we have to take great care to be very discerning into whatever we consume, not just physical food, but also whatever 
might be in the world that could, that could spoil us in the least sense. Now, these two are miracles of food. And so the next miracle is the miracle of feeding 100 men. Okay, so there in the region where Elisha was and where these guys were, the Bible says there was a famine. So the people didn't have a crop. They were, they were not able to feed themselves and they were obviously having a difficult time trying to find what could feed them. And so now they had to mark another thing off their list, namely gourds out in the field. Um, so here Elisha is there doing his best and here's the movement of God. Just God knows. God, you just have faith in God. Be still and know that I'm God. A man came from Baal Shalisha. Now this tells us how evil, really, the land was. This is the only place in the Bible that this particular area, Baal Shalisha, is mentioned. But through a lot of study, it is surmised that it was a particular area about 15 miles away from where Elisha was there at Gilgal. 15 miles away, a follower of Yahweh obviously somehow is moved to hear of the plight of Elisha, his disciples, and his disciples of the prophets. So in an area that carries the name of a false god with it, which obviously had been surrendered to Baal, here's this one believer at least, and his concern is for the people of God. So he comes from Baal Shalisha, and he brought to the man of God bread of the first fruits. Now that's an offering. Uh, you go back to the law, he's supposed to take this to the priest. The priests are to enjoy it in the story of David. Uh, when David's men were famished, they came and the priest said, oh, I've got some showbread. David said, that'll do. And the priest did what he wasn't really supposed to do, but it was of the Lord because of the necessity that existed. He fed the men, the priest did in David's day. So how does a man, he's obviously wanting to be obedient to the law as best he can, but there is no, it is forbidden for people from this area to go back to Jerusalem. Remember, we saw that some of the king didn't, he wanted to stop his people from going back uh, to Judah. They were drawn, the, the people of God especially, were drawn to Jerusalem for the feasts and the festivals and the offering of sacrifices uh, and for the leadership of the priests and so forth. Well, forbidden that, there not being a place of God where the people of God could worship in the manner prescribed by God it became customary in that time and in that day, the best thing they could do was if they couldn't make an offering at the temple was at least to take that offering being sensitive to their personal need of obeying God in some way, take that offering 
and give it to the prophets. In this case, the man of God, uh, Elisha. So here's a very sensitive believer. How, how he discovered the, the need, I don't know. Bottom line is that Yahweh, the Spirit of God, had touched him in some way. And God divinely intervened continually in the lives of these people who were his down in the area of Gilgal. So he brought to the man of God bread of the first fruits. Now, he brought, two, he brought a twofold offering. First of all, loaves of barley bread, loaves that had already been prepared. And then secondly, sheaves of fresh grain in their shells. Now, that means that it's not been prepared yet, but it can be preserved in the sense that it can be taken a little bit at a time at a later date. So the offering that he's bringing could be used to feed people for a space of time, not just then and there. So he said, give to the people and let them eat. Now, this is the message that Elisha knows is coming from Yahweh for this believer made a difficult journey to bring something that he could have been killed for on the road, a dangerous journey as well, the loaves of barley bread and the sheaves of fresh grain. Take this and use it, give it to the people. And his servant, this is Gehazi. He's, you know, he's the dark cloud in every day, Gehazi. And his servant said, how am I gonna give this to a hundred men? You know, those, these, these, these negative naysayers, you just, you're better off without them really. Um, how am I going, how will I give this before 100 men? Now, I have underlined men because just like the miracle of the 5,000, those guys would have had their children, their wives. So it been a lot more than just 5,000. So 100 men, as we have already seen, at least some of them would have had their families, their wives and their children. So there would, there would be several hundred people, not, not just 100 men, but according to the culture, they counted the crowd by the presence of the men. And so he, he, he says, there's 100 men. How am I going to do this before 100 men? Hidden in that question is, how are all these people going to be fed with, with just this? And he said, you... Give the people and let them eat. For so has Yahweh said, they shall eat and live forever. Give this to the people. You're going to see God provide for his people. They shall eat and live, what does I say, forever? And they shall eat and leave over. They'll be the leftovers. <laughs> this isn't the bread that if a man eats, he eats, he lives forever. This is not that bread. They shall eat and leave over. That is to say, in the language, there will be leftovers. Just like the miracle of the 5,000. And he placed it before them and they ate and left over according to the word of Yahweh. It's just a beautiful story. The people of God in an extreme circumstance were participating in a man's offering that he couldn't take to the temple and there was no priest to give it to. And he did the best he could do. 
It's the spirit. It isn't, it isn't the letter of the law here that, that, that drives the beauty of the story. It is the spirit of the law. And the spirit of the law is that this man had to give first fruits to Yahweh. There being no priest, the next thing he could think of was the prophet. And so two unrelated people, I mean, there's no indication that Elisha knew this guy, but probably somebody had traveled those 15 miles and had informed what little band of believers there may have been of the plight of famine uh, there in Gilgal, especially at the school of the prophets and where the man of God was, obviously stirred at a time of first fruits giving, this man followed the spirit of the law, which, to do, which was to do what he could do for the servant of God and the servant of God would take it and do what he knew was best. And so it says here, give it to the people and let them eat. So there's, there's no indication that Elisha, you know, just dove in and started eating himself or, or even, even his disciples. But the, all the people who were there were given uh, food according to the word of Yahweh. The beautiful thing is, I, I, I keep referencing, and why not? It is the day in which we live. People probably, and maybe you do, and bless God if you do, but I mean, my day is consumed with studying the plight of the people of God, the proclamation of the word of God, and the truth that's given in the scriptures of how the word of God divides asunder. And even within Christendom, in the day in which we live, we are seeing what I call a wonderful division where people will adhere to and stand on the absolute truth of the word of God and will not veer one way. And I have, listen, I have seen the debates. I have listened to the arguments of the so-called liberal theologians and pastors and so forth. And they can be so convincing. They strike you at the heart with a social gospel that, uh, that tries to tear you apart uh, regarding helping these poor, helpless people in an age in which we live. And yet, when we examine those whom they describe to be poor and helpless, they're, they're, they're really very wicked and they're far away from God. And we have a, we have a greater thing for them than just to befriend them. The greater thing that we have is to teach to them and preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, which can deliver them from the great spiritual needs that they have. And this delivery of the word of God, it, it, uh, it does what the Bible has said, what the New Testament said it would do. It tears people apart. It tears groups apart. It tears so-called believers one from another and it tears even churches apart. My point here, though, is that on a basis that I haven't seen in quite a long time, there are people coming from every direction and in every camp 
people you've never heard of who are just taking a stand and saying, I'm drawing a line here. I'm standing with the word of God. I don't care what it costs me. I'm not going any further. Uh, and I'm not part of this modern movement that is trying to force itself upon the church of these last days. And I'm seeing more and more reports from that increasingly uh, in, the, in the articles and journals that I read and then the reports uh, that are made. And I think it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. It's exactly what happened in the day of Elisha. The word of God is dividing people like it, like it said it would. Those who are really the people of God and those who are counterfeit and are not really the people of God. So the miracles of Elisha, as they move on in their effectiveness in the northern kingdom, his ministry is beginning to reveal that which is real and that which is false. And that's not a bad thing. We're going to stop there and uh, we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.